Hello, and welcome back to Sunday Sermons, the official podcast of FMBC Houston. I'm Pastor Andrew Johnson, the senior pastor at FMBC Houston. We're so glad that you chose to download and listen to this episode. If you're ever in the Houston area, join us for Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Crest. Good morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we invite you into this place. We know that you're here. Holy Spirit, we are hopeful. We are expectant that you have a word for us today. Lord, as you speak, I pray that we would listen. Let your word come alive. Encourage us, challenge us, reveal to us what is unknown and hidden. Only your Holy Spirit can do that. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. Amen? Last week we were encouraged in Acts chapter 8. We've been walking through the book of Acts and there was this uh, amazing evidence of this man named Philip who went to Samaria and preached the gospel. And he preached Christ and he unleashed the power of the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders. And there, the, the end of the, that little passage just says that there was great joy in that city. And so we're encouraged, um, encouraged to know the power of the gospel. Encouraged to know um, that it's not just the message that he brought, but also the evidence uh, of the, that it works, that there's power in it and that it makes a difference. Verse 9 goes a little bit deeper into that city of Samaria. I mean, earlier it says that Philip preached the gospel and that they um, saw signs and wonders and that there was healing and casting out of demons. And, and that city, uh, for the most part, came to the knowledge of Christ and came to um, believe in the gospel. We go deeper now into one particular man in that city and all that it is that the Lord um, is doing in his life and also the resistance and um, the brokenness that's in his life. And I hope that we can learn from him as we look at ourselves, at our society, our city, our culture, as well as where we find ourselves in the midst. So will you Stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. 
And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God. Sorry. Uh, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord. That if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven for you. May be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains eternal. You may be seated. I have to apologize. I try not to cry in the middle of the scripture reading. And what a weird place to start crying, right? Um, but man, I was rocked by one more news story about a great Christian leader falling into scandal, and you don't have to know which one it is because there's unfortunately so many to choose from these days. And it came upon me to read of this story, someone that I had some connection to, and then, and then to wrestle with this man called Simon the Great. And so, I don't know what it is about our culture, about our society, about the state of the church in this current day in which humble shepherds have been elevated to statuses of celebrity and superstardom, but I know that it's a soul sickness, both for those who are elevated and both for those who stand under them. And something has got to change, and I think there's something in the story of Simon to speak that speaks to the story of someone who heard the gospel and believed and was baptized, and yet there was still, the Bible says, Peter says, he saw in him a bond of iniquity and a bitter gall, a bitter poisonness that he was susceptible to. And so I have some points that kind of really stuck out in this passage. It's a strange story. 
I could spend all day just talking about the theological implications of uh, the Holy Spirit and the laying on of hands, and I want to just kind of address that briefly, but um, let's get into it and see what, what the Word has for us today. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man, listen to what they said, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And that's the first part in our, in our, you know, modern society. He's doing magic tricks. I mean, is the David Copperfield type of guy? What's going on here? And, and truthfully, it doesn't really, it's not really clear. Are we talking about someone who was moving in demonic powers? It's very likely that there was somehow he had supernatural access. We know that the power was not of God, whatever power it might have been. So on one hand, it could have been a demonic um, uh power that somehow could excite and amaze the crowds. That happens all throughout the book of Acts. There are other examples of how spiritual forces can inhabit or empower people to do things that are, that's not godly, but is still amazing and is powerful. Um, it also could have been, some might argue, sleight of hand. Maybe he was just a great orator and somehow was able to kind of, you know, sell some snake oil or something, you know, just kind of a charlatan. Whatever the case may be, Simon practiced magic in the city, and he amazed the people of Samaria. And he said that he himself was somebody great. And it worked. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. They said, this man is the power of God that is called great. You know, it's... it's, it's it's happening today, and we could talk about social media and influencers and celebrities, and it's amazing how so much of that has permeated into the church, and the church just kind of accepts it. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you got to have some followers or some influence, and I really take issue with that. I think there's something very dangerous, and I think the more we engage in this type of celebrity status worship, um, it's not good. It's not good. Um, but it's not just a today problem. Uh, there's this human condition where people rise up in communities and cultures that can move other people, that can influence, that can impact people, that can captivate crowds, that can impact lives. They move in a power that is convincing. And the problem is that power is real. But if it's not from the Lord, then we know that that power is not of God. So it's significant to be like, man, I mean, I was listening to this guy speak, a self-help guru, some, some certain, uh, you know, pr powerful speaker. And I'm like, I kind of felt something there. Yeah, no, you don't have to deny the fact that there is power that some people move in. It could be the power of being charismatic, or it could be tapping into some type of darker spiritual forces. We know the Bible says there's a spiritual reality, and there are demonic things that influence people. All that to say, the first point I want to make to you that we'll find through the the rest of the story is that greatness is for God and God alone. I want you to really understand this. Greatness is for God. Simon called himself great, and the crowds participated in this codependent elevation of, of Simon. 
Simon says, I am great. And they said, man, he is great. And so this strange dance of one leader rising up to capture the attention and the praise of people, I don't want to explain all the complexities of it, but what we're reminded is, is that when Philip shows up, Philip is not some high-positioned apostle. I just switched from Simon to Philip. When talking about Philip, Philip was the deacon who had been evidenced in his lifestyle to be filled of the Spirit, filled of grace and truth and wisdom. He was someone who served, not someone who was seeking status, but in preaching the gospel, he declared that Jesus Christ is great, and the greatness of that name transformed lives. People today are not unlike people in the first century. We are easily moved, impacted, convinced, and amazed by magical personalities or even magic itself, someone who can declare their own greatness. And friends, greatness is for God alone. There are going to be people in our lives that are gifted in certain things, people that can grab a microphone and, and sing certain songs or, or speak God's word or, or, or maybe certain counselors or whatever the case may be. And the temptation is for us to elevate them above a status. What I love about the local body, the, the local church, is that if we're not seeking for fame or seeking to go viral and seeking for great influence, the body can build up the body. And it's actually those parts of the body that... Uh, our scripture says more lowly that should be revered and treated with greater honor. My mind's all over the place with this because it, it, I feel so deeply the pain of a dysfunctional relationship. It's so easy when, when, um, when some Christian celebrity falls for us to say, oh my goodness, how could it be? I'm not even, to be honest, I'm not surprised anymore. I, I'm so jaded and sometimes, to be honest, embittered by a system wherein this is cultivated. And I'd like to say if someone achieves celebrity status or stardom, it's more often than not because they sought that. There is a way to not be famous. You can get off social media. You can be bad at answering your phone, and you can say no to reporters. You can invest more in studying God's word and loving people than building a marketing team. But also, I will say, for those heroes in my life that I elevated too highly, and when they fell or failed me, it was not only their fault that the damage was done, it was also that in my heart I had elevated them in a status that was not right for them to be. God is God and God alone. I thank for his grace and his goodness in broken people. I, I see such beauty in the people that I'm looking at right now. And God is using you and will use you for mighty things. But there's this strange balance of us not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, the scripture says. That doesn't say think of yourself as lowly as possible, just a, a worm in the dirt. But it also doesn't say that you are the gift of God that is greatness. There's somewhere where if God is God and God alone, then he can be great. And if I'm his son and I'm his, or I'm his daughter, then I can just bask in his greatness. I have found it is greater to be loved than to be great. And what we're deeply seeking is to be loved. 
Can I tell a story on myself? I'm going to anyway. So I remember I was like, uh, it's 2012, 2013 or something. I was, uh, I had to be a little bit later. So maybe 2015, 16. Anyways, I was living on Market Street and there was a shooting across the, the street and there was this tragic thing. Um, and yet there was a testimony in it and God allowed for gospel ministry to happen. Well, the local denomination or something got wind of it and somehow I got a call and to do like an article and to come speak on a big stage. And um, so I did this testimony thing. And I, to be honest, I've always um, really regretted that I said yes to that because I realized I just became a story in a brochure to kind of promote another agenda. And, and I, I realized that what God is doing in this community and this city is special and sacred and should not be sold or marketed. But young me, you can tell him nothing, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm not completely all the way there, but I, I, I was in this, uh, what's this called? This, um, this big conference, and there's thousands of people, and I gave my little testimony thing, and then Afterwards, the director of this big organization comes to me and he says, that was so great. I thank God bless you for your ministry, this and that. And he's like, is there anything we could ever do for you? And my mouth, sometimes your mouth will say what's in your heart before you can stop it. I said, I'd love to preach on the big stage. And I, as it came out, I looked at his face and we were both ashamed of me. <laughs> There's something within each and every one of us, I don't know if Walt Disney put it there, I think it's more the fall, that thinks that we are the hero and should be made much of. And that is an Asherah pole, that is an idol that the love of God will come and tear down if you let it. To learn that we don't have to be hungry full of ambition and vainglory to be made great, but that ultimately Philip shows up to town and Simon is given the opportunity for freedom that you don't have to be the great one anymore. You're kind of not good at it. But come and see the King of kings and Lord of lords, the humble carpenter from Galilee who built a kingdom with three nails and total humility and self-sacrifice. We talked about it in a Bible study at 10 a.m. Consider him who, who had the form of glory, but considered the form of glory not to be something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and lowered himself, becoming even in the form of a man, even in the form of a servant, who was, who was humble even to the point of death, even a sinner's death, a criminal's death. Point one is greatness is for God. There should be other points, but I just want to hammer this home. In a world that is telling us that you won't be happy until you have been made great of by followers and likes and all that other stuff, there is a God who knows you and who sees you. And if you want to be known and if you want to be loved, it's something that crowds can't do for you, but only God. When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs 
and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. The next point I want to make, first of all, that greatness is for God. The second is so amazing. God, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, God puts his greatness in us. And this is a very mysterious thing. And it's so mysterious that it's not fully fleshed out or understood throughout most of the Bible, the Old Testament. The the great mystery of the age was ultimately that Christ, uh, that Messiah would put Holy Spirit into his people, even not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. So as this is playing out, something strange happens. Philip preaches the gospel in Samaria. The Samaritans hear and receive, and yet they call back for the apostles to come and lay hands for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there's been a lot of different groups born out of this one passage of Scripture um, that somehow would, would argue for a second laying on of hands or a second giving of the Holy Spirit. And that's a really complex thing to tease out, but I'll say this. There's something very unique happening here in the same way that in Acts chapter 2, for the first time in all of history, God's Spirit was going to now dwell in His people. In Acts chapter 8, God's Spirit is not going to just dwell in Jews, but now in Samaritans. It may just sound like another city or another part of the story. This is a huge cataclysmic shift in the story of redemption. Jesus told His disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And this is the shift that, that is so significant that Philip says Samaritans are getting saved. Let me call back the head, home, home base and get Peter and John to come down. The same apostles that had been filled with the Spirit, the same apostles that received and moved in the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 for the people of God, they want them to commission through the laying on of hands the established, the, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit to the first people outside of the covenant people of God. Samaritans. It's debatable, are they outside of the covenant? The Jews thought they were outside of the covenant, that's for sure. Um, so there's something very unique happening here that I wouldn't say should be um, upheld as an experience for believers today. Because the truth is now we understand that unless the Holy Spirit leads us to salvation, um, we can't come to salvation. That, that as we uh, are baptized in Christ, we are also baptized into His Spirit. Um, something very unique is happening in Acts 8. Um, and we can see the laying on of hands is, is all throughout the book of Acts for the, the purpose of healing. We saw this in Christ's ministry, and it moves on into the work of the apostles, even into the church where they say laying on of hands um, for those who are sick in the body. We see this for commissioning. The visible sign of laying on hands marks the beginning of a new ministry for deacons, for elders, for missionaries. All throughout the scriptures, we see laying on of hands. And then, and then very specifically, only in a few senses, the, the laying on of hands is for the giving of the Spirit. And we see this here in chapter 8. 
Why is that significant? Because the first point I made is that greatness is for God and God alone. The second point that is so strange is that that greatness has become so close now that the Spirit of God dwells in us, especially in the body of Christ. It can be confusing when we're experiencing the power of the Spirit when it flows out of a particular vessel. To say like, wow, that vessel is something special. You get what I'm saying? But, but the Spirit of God and its greatness and its power is what's really moving us. Whoever happens to be speaking the word is just a vessel. And it's an honor to be a vessel, but you're just a vessel. And so it's good to have, I hope you have different teachers that you listen to, worship artists and all these other things. That's beautiful. They're just vessels. And if there's power in anything that they're doing, it is the Spirit of God. But what's great about it is that 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 hope of glory is in us, that the Spirit of God is in us. And so in one sense, we should be humble knowing that God is great and God alone. And in another sense, we should be emboldened and empowered to know that Christ in us is the hope of glory through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you got theological questions on this, come, uh, we can talk about it more because we really should spend about you know six weeks talking about uh, that. But moving right along, there is a uh, another point I want to make. Um, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given on through the laying was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Uh Uh-oh. He said, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon is kind of infamous. There's a word in the English language now called simony, which talks about um, this practice of uh, using money for the bestowing of spiritual uh, privileges in, in church or religious systems. Not something you want to be known for, right? Simon says, Simon says, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I may lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. The next point I want to make that we find in the Scripture is that God's gifts are not for sale. We treasure God's gifts not because they are amazing, but ultimately because of the one who gives them to us that God gets the glory for every good and perfect gift. The gift of God is not for sale. You cannot buy it, and don't you dare try to sell it. Simon tries to buy the authority of laying on of hands from the apostles. He sees them laying hands, and the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit, so he offers money so that he can have the same power to lay hands and give the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like when I said, I'd really like to preach on the big stage. Suddenly, Simon's mouth speaks and reveals the darkness and decept- the, the deceived nature of his heart. He's, been, he's believed in the gospel. 
He has been baptized. He's been following the apostles. And yet his heart still greatly desires to have the power and the influence. I'm glad people are getting the Holy Spirit. I'm glad when you lay your hands, they receive the Holy Spirit. But that's not enough. I want to be the one that I have the power, that I have the position and the status that when I lay my hands, the hands of Simon the Great can bestow the Holy Spirit. Friends, do you still desire to be great? And, and, and the, the, the big revelation will come is how your heart is moved by money or the transaction, the, the, the perspective of transaction concerning the gifts of God. Peter rebukes Simon harshly. He says, may you and your parish, uh, may you and your silver perish with you. To perish, by the way, is not like may you die, which that would be bad enough, but it's more like um, go to hell and take your money with you. You can't buy the Spirit. Even after you die, we won't even touch your silver. That's how tainted it is. Now you may be saying, that's kind of harsh, man. Yes, it is. The grace of God, sometimes to break hard hearts, it comes in a very hard way. Amen? He tells them, repent. The word repent means uh, metanoia, means a transformed mind. You have to change your entire perspective on things. Think differently about this wickedness. However you thought this was going to go, you give a little money and we're like, cool, man, here's the power. And then you go get to be the, the center of state. Something in your heart is wicked and not right. And if you don't change, you're on a path towards destruction. The way Peter says it, he says, I see that you are in the poison of bitterness and that you are bound in iniquity. That's Simon the Great. Now we can just cast the stones at celebrity Christians. And, but I think as we look at ourselves, we have to find that there is a chain called greatness. The desire to be great. The desire to be perfect. The desire to, to have, um, to be known by great crowds of people. And that can become an idol. But every good thing that God has given us is not because he wanted us to revere that gift, but because we wanted to revere him. He wanted us to revere him, to honor him, to glorify him, that all of his gifts would draw us closer to him. The apostles are like, Simon, you have no idea what it took for us to get here to be laying hands for people to receive the Holy Spirit. We're excited that Samaritans are about to come to know about God and Simon says, how can I profit off of this? I'll make an investment because in the, in the end, I'm going to make more on the return. We have to talk about this because it is so rampant in church culture right now. It is sickening. And that the rise and falls of great gifted men and women is destroying lives who are seeking to know the real Christ 
and to be filled with the real power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to speak to any of you who are gifted, and you are all gifted in the Holy Spirit. If someone, there may come a moment when someone makes an offer to you to somehow profit off of your giftedness. And I'm so proud of Peter. He says, "Uh uh-uh, you can't buy this. He could have taken the money. At times, I've been tempted to take the money. My heart breaks for brothers and sisters in Christ who have made deals that they might become famous or become wealthy and for the gift that God gave them for His good pleasure have prostituted themselves out for crowds, likes, and follows. And if that sounds harsh, let it sound harsh because it is. Peter loves Simon enough to harshly tell him, you have no idea what you're dealing with. You may be gifted, but you are very far from God. And there needs to be a drastic, dramatic repentance in your heart. The last thing I want to say, um, just in review, greatness is for God. God puts his greatness in us. God's gifts are not for sale. The last point I want to make is that the greatest gift of all is salvation. When I first wrote that, I'm like, I got to find out how to make that like not sound. To me, it sounds, at first glance, can sound like obvious or even corny. Like, oh, the greatest thing is salvation. And it's like, no, not if you really understand what you've been saved from. Simon says, Please pray to the Lord, Peter, that what you say doesn't happen to me. That I don't continue on a path to destruction. That I don't live a life of bondage to iniquity and to a bitterness in my soul that loves money and loves fame and celebrity and ultimately receives a, reaps a reward of destruction for a heart that is not right before God. Simon says, pray for me. Friends, I'm glad today for you who have been born again, and I'm glad today for me and my life that God in His goodness has saved me. I was bound, and in no way could I free myself. You and I were born into sin, and in this desire to be like God that goes back to the very root of Satan himself. And yet God in His goodness and His mercy came to break those chains. To set us free from the desire to be made much of so that Christ could be central and we could fade into the background. Now we can glory in statements like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But I have been hidden with Christ. It's an amazing thing to be hidden in Christ. To, be, to welcome that means that I might no longer be known so that he might be known. So I hear things like voices from the Father speaking over me in the prayer closet for years and years, breaking down that heart of ambition and vainglory to say, would it be enough, son, if they never knew your name, but they knew mine?
What's strange about this story is that at the time, Siemens, uh, Simon seems to earnestly respond. I know that's going to be in viral, but Simon seems to earnestly respond to the gospel of Christ that Philip preached. He preached the gospel. I mean, he heard the gospel, believed and was baptized, and was amazed by the signs and miracles. Simon very well may have been born again. The truth is, we don't know if he's born again. Maybe he is. Maybe this is a believer who's very confused, but he's going to be brought to repentance. Maybe he's never been born again. Maybe he had an emotional experience or was impressed by the signs and wonders. We're not quite sure. We should actually be very humble about the way that we assess other people's salvation because there are some people, as we learned this morning through the parable of the sowers, who appear to have signs of regeneration or being born again but then over time we see it's just, uh, it's not a deep transformation. Salvation is not just believing the correct doctrines or at least being able to, of course, accept with your heart, believe in your heart. There is a way that you can doctrinally, uh, intellectually agree with some statements, that you could experience the amazement of God's power, that you could even participate in the church because it says that Simon believed what was preached, he was baptized, and then he even followed the apostles. But he still lacks a drastic transformation of the heart, its desires, its motives, its idols. This transformation is a realization, acceptance of our own flaws and brokenness that we must learn to lay our life down and rely only on God's greatness that we might be emptied, poured out, and lowered so that Christ might be elevated. Amen? Greatness is for God and God alone. Through the Holy Spirit, God puts His greatness in us. God's gifts are not for sale. And ultimately, if we look back on our life, or if you could stop right now, the greatest gift is salvation. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. Not only in this room, Lord, we pray for every gifted brother or sister in Christ that has a position in the church right now where they have a lot of attention. Lord, would you guard their hearts? Those that have national and international followings, and yet deep within their heart is still a darkened understanding of the gospel and of who you are, whether they're living in secret sin, whether their greatest sin is the pride of is the sin of pride and of ambition. Lord, we pray for the church of Jesus Christ around the world, who is so amazed by gifted men and women. Lord, help us to train our hearts to be, to give you all glory and not be impressed with flesh. We thank God for gifted men and women. But the glory is for you and for you alone. Lord, forgive us when we elevate people and put them on a pedestal when in reality they're just sons and daughters like us. Maybe differently gifted, maybe have a different story. But we are all vessels of your grace and of your power and of your gifts.
Lord, I just want to thank You for the lowering. For the humbling. I thank You for people like Peter who would stand and say the hard truth. I thank You, Holy Spirit, that You stood and said the hard truths. That when sons and daughters are under the poison of gall and bitterness, when their hearts are bound in iniquity, you will speak the hard truth which says that our hearts are not right. And unless we repent, unless we turn from this wickedness, unless we allow the gospel to humble us, unless we be crucified with Christ, hidden in His glory, fading into insignificance so that you might be made much of, Lord, set sons and free, sons and daughters free. To just be sons and daughters, and that would be enough. Before great gifting, before great notoriety, to be sons and daughters, and that that would be enough. We love you, Jesus. Because you first loved us, you loved us so. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you'd like to be notified for future episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review in your podcast app. Remember, if you're ever in the Houston area, we'd love to have you to come to Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Press.